And welcome once again to our ABC 10 News Ask the Experts series. I'm Ben Higgins. It is back to school week and we're focusing on issues as parents are facing a very uncertain school year coming up, uh, whether their children will be distance learning at home, uh, whether they will talk about homeschooling, which was our focus yesterday, uh, how that's going to work and uh, what solutions could be out there. We're having different guests and experts on each day this week and just going to kind of talk through it and ask some questions and hopefully uh, get to a little some more, if not answers, at least uh, figuring out what the right questions are to be asking to make sure our kids are not only safe, but still continuing their learning journey during these unsafe times. And I'd like to welcome our guest today. Uh, he's a professor of practice and director of online programs for learning and teaching at the University of San Diego. We're going to be focusing on online and distance learning today. Uh, Dr. Joseph Lathan is with us here. Dr. Lathan, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let's uh, let's start with a base here. Um, you know, online learning is not brand new, maybe new to uh, some people this year during the pandemic, but uh, it's been something that's been going on for at least a couple of decades. My, my wife did some college online and that was uh, almost 20 years ago. So uh, what's kind of the history of, of online or quote unquote distance learning and, and what can you tell me about the start and how it's evolved? Well, it, just as you have said, uh, Ben, it's been around for a long time. Um, definitely 30 years strong, if not more. Um, the practice of online education is definitely not new. Um, I think now that uh, the COVID environment has finally given an opportunity to be exposed. Um, there are many studies that have, um, have said that it's a stronger way of learning. Some say it's a less credible way of learning. But one thing that we know now that without it, it's the only way of learning that we have to deal with now and the credibility of it and how we can make it more credible. This is the opportunity. So I think it's been uh, a, a way of learning that was been waiting for someone or something to help bring this exposure because I stand behind it having over 20 years experience uh, in online education. As you said, this isn't a new phenomenon. In fact, you could go even back to the last century uh, in correspondence classes where people uh, could learn through the mail. And of course, uh, once the internet was developed online, we just uh, found a faster way to speed that up. But uh, technology moves so fast nowadays. What has the evolution been like just kind of in the last 15 to 20 years of what uh, online learning kind of looked like, maybe people when they first saw it and, and what it is today, in your opinion? Wow, that's a very broad question, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, what it looked like, like you said, they had floppy disks and they were doing it through mails. Um, some of the more advanced uh, uh, settings came when people would actually send them a videotape and then they would send it back. Now we're starting to progress and see all the um, applications that are now with the improvement of the learning management systems, which are so robust today. And they are a one stop where you plug in all the different applications to create a, an inclusive learning environment in, in, in one place. And what we now see, the advancement which has really propelled online education is the uh, opportunity to add um, the synchronous tools that allow for interaction at the same time, like Zoom, uh, which is a very, very big tool at the University of San Diego. We depend on it. We use it. 
And it helps to create those barriers in which some say there uh, cannot be interaction. So I think the uh, the, the voice over IP uh, uh, tools like Zoom and other um, mediums such as that has really changed the game and made it more intimate setting for online education. Before we move forward and get into some more of the specific questions related to uh, the pandemic and distant learning, distance learning that's going on right now. Uh, tell me a little bit more just about yourself um, and, and your role at USD and kind of uh, the function you serve as the director of online learning. Wow, thank you. Well, I have almost, like I mentioned, almost 20 years of online education. Um, I, um, I graduate with all of my degrees from online, from my bachelor's, my master's, up to the PhD level. I completed those all online. Um, so I was in online for actually uh, education as a student for 10 years straight while I was an online administrator. And I worked at um, four different major schools, um, including NYU and Fordham, in which I ran their online programs and helped them create their programs. I worked for for-profit colleges, for nonprofit. I worked in associate levels. I worked in bachelor's level. I now work in master's level, and now I work in PhD level. I work for private schools. So I had an opportunity to get a real, real eclectic experience in online education, which I was very fortunate to be chosen to bring to USD. So I've only been on board for about uh, almost a year, and we have been really, really pushing the envelope in online education. And I was hired before COVID, not knowing that the university would need a stronger focus on the online education. So it wasn't COVID that drove us into this online education. We were doing it. It's just helping to make us better. Right, that's fascinating that all your degrees came from online studies. Um, now that more people are going to be doing this or even forced into doing this on all levels, even you know down to high school and elementary level. Um, was there ever any you know bias? Did you ever receive any like, oh, uh, online? Why is that? Uh, you know, some people may wonder like, well, why didn't why didn't he attend the normal schools? I think there is a kind of a, a general perception that people kind of wonder and ask that question. And uh, now it seems almost silly considering the circumstances that we have to face. Wow, Ben, that was one of the barriers that um, I was fighting against while going into online because there were still so much stigmatism that was based on how the jobs perceive uh, online education. And that was very prevalent when I started my online education at the bachelor's level. And um, I, I kept trudging through because what I would find out that the idea would be is that in order to help with to break those stigmatisms, if you attended a school that had a more a brick and mortar school that then branched out to online, they were considered the more credible online school starting on uh, on the ground first. And by branching out, that gave them a, a, a opportunity to assume that, that we were more credible at that point. But now, as people got better, it now doesn't take a ground course, brick and mortar, to to solidify your credibility. You just have to be really good at understanding and providing quality online education. So that has been a major transformation. I was definitely a part of those stigmatisms, but now it really doesn't make a big difference at all, especially in an online education field. Well, I want to follow up on that because I think that's a question that a lot of parents are asking. I'm asking, I have high school age children. 
Obviously, not all distance learning and online education is created equal. Uh, some schools will be better prepared. Other schools will be just trying to play catch up here during the pandemic. What are some of the things that you look for, signs that an online education is going to be quality, comparable, as good, or even better than an in-person education? And what are some, uh, conversely, uh, and this is obviously a, a multi-part question, of signs that you might be worried about if your school uh, doesn't have certain things in place for their distance learning? Well, I, I want to start with the latter, what you just mentioned, because that is really one of the biggest concerns is the access to technology. Um, and I know parents are really, really struggling with that. I see it happening in the Masters of Education program. I'm overseeing teachers that are in the classroom and how they're struggling trying to ensure that the students have access. And it's unfortunate where there's more poverty, there's going to be less access. So we're still seeing that there's discrimination. We're still seeing that those barriers that are still being created for meaningful education for people of color. And so it really is incumbent upon government and state legislation to implement resources and tools that provide students, parents with the first of all access. We can have the greatest assignments, we can do the greatest things, but if they lack the access, nothing we do will matter. So that's where it starts. We have to make sure that it's supported from the top, funded from the top down to ensure all students have access. Now, some of the uh, things that you can recognize that we're a quality program or how do we become that? Um, I would say that as a teacher, I want you to first, as a teacher, for them, as a teacher perspective, realize that you are a great teacher. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. But when you enter into online education and doing blended learning, understand that you, there are going to be some things that you have to learn and that it's okay to learn along the way. But be transparent. Share with your students where you're coming from. And, and knowing that you're a good teacher, you just have to change the methodology. The only difference that uh, should be between teaching in class and teaching on the ground should be in the way that it's offered, but not the content, not the learning objectives. So there's ways to do it. And those ways are formative more than summative. You do chunking. There's a lot of different small methods. And I say using the, the, uh, the, uh, the acronym KISS, keep it simple. And when we try to put too much and do too much and add all these, this is when you complicate things. But there are so many ways and so many small things that we can do to meet the learning objectives. I know that um, you know, we're talking, obviously, focusing a lot on students, but at USD, they also teach the teachers as it were. And uh, you put out some uh, guidelines uh, to teachers on how to best deliver an education in online circumstances. So let me, let me ask you specifically, engagement with students when they're not right in front of you. I think that's a concern of a lot of teachers and parents yeah. out there. You know, you don't have that eye to eye contact. You can't make sure that uh, they're paying attention, they're listening, that uh, they've got that sense. What are some ways to help overcome that distance and still make that connection between teachers and students? That's a very good question, uh, Ben. And I, I would say that one of the practices that I've been exposed to is that you have to have a strong success team 
that it has the ability to continue to reach out. You don't start now. I mean, you don't wait till the semester is almost beginning to start prepping students and getting them ready. This needs to start happening now. And a lot of times, if you don't have like a what we would call a student success team or support team or people other than the teacher to help keep the students engaged, it can be a lot of work on the teacher. So I would recommend that uh, schools set up student support teams and so that the teacher is not left with the job of trying to not only teach, but also find the students. And this is one way that I found has been very meaningful, not only at the um, college level, but very meaningful at the high school and could be very as much meaningful at K through 12 since we're now entering into that type of realm. You mentioned earlier how important access to technology is, uh, especially uh, to make that education equal for everybody. It uh, doesn't matter uh, income levels, uh, poverty levels, that uh, things like laptops, uh, you know, so essential. Chromebooks, uh, trying to make those available. But what about the technology on the other end, the teaching end, that makes this a more effective means of communicating with students? I see uh, you've got one of the uh, headsets on that you're wearing right now. Tell, tell me a little bit about the things that make it more effective from a teaching perspective. For a teaching perspective, um, definitely, we must support the teachers, <laughs> as you say. What um, it, the same pool of funds that we should be pulling to help support uh, students? There should definitely be a fund for teachers. Also, there should be training that's available, and a lot of this training can happen online. And there's courses that that students should be entered into an orientation course. They should never just be thrown into an online environment. If we haven't created an orientation course, that also gauges their success, whether or how engaged they're going to be in the program itself when class starts. So these type of preparation happens at the student level. They also should be happening at the teaching level in which the preparation is taking place with an orientation course and also resources available to make sure that they can succeed. Um, one thing that, um, you know, obviously school teaches children, you know, there's deadlines and accountability. Um, you know, you can obviously do the same thing with online learning, but at the same time, uh, some kids might have, uh, you know, go at a different pace, might have, uh, you know, different trouble, uh, you know, acclimating to the online learning process. What do you feel about uh, how to handle that in terms of, especially in a period of transition, like right now, when a lot of students haven't done this before, of, of how it takes to acclimate to online learning? Well, it, it A, it's very honest, it's gonna be uh, a struggle for some. Um, and that's just the reality. Everyone is not going to be up and running at the same speed. Um, online learning does require uh, more discipline. It does require an opportunity to engage more as well and to be more interactive because you just can't sit in the back of the classroom and do nothing as if you would or could in a in class. So one of the things that, you know, for to get the students up and running, um, providing them the opportunity uh, to um, practice. And if we can provide some low stakes opportunities, that way they don't feel so intimidated in an online environment. And then if we have opportunities to uh, help them um, build up their um, speed and to learn what it's like, and it takes work 
from the teacher to meet the students where they're at. So I'm going to say that in beginning, it does require a lot of work from the teacher, but we have to meet them where they're at. So if I try to base it all on a class perspective and not meet some of the students where they're at, then we may miss out on the opportunity from them actual advancing. And just because they didn't learn at the pace with the other students, that still doesn't mean that they're not capable of actually meeting the learning objectives. We just have to find a way to teach different. And if we're trying to base it off of our old way of doing education, we're going to lose a lot of students. So it's up to us to be more creative and us to us to break some of the barriers that education has set that says we have to do it this way and that way. And to do that requires resources. Now, you talked about making sure the teachers have have the support funding, uh, you know, from our leaders. But at the same time, there are resources available out there online that aren't necessarily expensive that are available to to teachers out there. You mentioned Zoom and obviously the um, the meeting platforms, I'm, I'm sure many schools will be making those decisions or already have made those decisions, but uh, there's there's prep services. What are some of the online tools uh, that are being used today to help maximize uh, online education? Wow, there are so many great ones, so many great ones. I, um, they're really, based on the need, um, you have so many great opportunities at our fingertips um, to meet the social, emotional needs. Um, you have uh, um, platforms like Flipgrid, which allows them to uh, do work from video platforms instead of just writing in text. Everyone is not good at expressing themselves in writing. This allows for opportunity to meet the learning outcomes through video expression. We must create more ways for them to meet the outcomes and not just dependent on upon the way in which we see fit. We must meet where they are at. So you have Flipgrid, which is great for social emotional learning. You have uh, Prodigy, which is an application for math, in which some say math is hard. Prodigy does a really great job of allowing more interactive in the math field and in math and sciences. Now you also have what I love, is which is free to everyone, and I strongly recommend you use is the Google Suite apps. The Gmail, the Google apps is free. You have access, you have so much storage space. Those are apps that can be used at synchronously where students can work on group work together. You can Google Docs. So things like Google app, which is a free resource, is what I really strongly lean on and recommend, and it helps with group work. So those that are worried about group work, your students can work on a Google app together and do a presentation, and they, they can present it to you. So those are just a few, but there are so many, but we'll just go ahead and start with those. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because, you know, I see some questions coming in, and we got them yesterday when we were talking about homeschooling. You know, parent working parents, when you have both parents working, um, that makes it even harder, even for distance learning where you have a teacher uh, still supervision at home can be difficult. Uh, it seems like maybe some of these apps, though, uh, if you're working, you may not you may be your home in a different room in the house. You can still maybe have those apps on in the corner where you're monitoring what your your student is doing during the day while you're hopefully <laughs> maybe still getting some of your own work done as well. It's not ideal, but uh, we are in times where we got to right now. 
<laughs> That's a good one. It's not ideal, but it can happen. You can you imagine that the students in their work and hey, I want to see your work, and you're watching them type it. <laughs> it's, it you you're doing your work. Peek on the Google Doc real quick. Go back to your work. This is the land of multitasking. I'm sorry. This is where we at, and the, um, the parents are multitasking, and this is a skill set that the children are going to have to build as well. And there's going to be a learning curve, but if this becomes more naturalized, the challenges that we see now won't be as challenging. But we must enter into this realm because what other uh, what other great opportunities do we have outside of remote learning to still have an opportunity to educate our children? You know, and I think everyone knows that being a teacher is in just about uh, teaching kids ABCs and and one two threes. There's an emotional. Uh, and mentoring aspect to being a teacher as well. That's obviously going to be more challenging in an online setting. I know there are some tips and resources uh, as well, especially in a scary time like this. If we're talking about younger kids that are learning online uh, with questions about COVID-19, what's going on in the world today, uh, talk about some of those resources that are available to to help teachers with that emotional aspect of teaching. Yeah, trauma-informed uh, teaching is um, one of the um, um, ways that our school at USD has thought about helping to educate our teachers and to be more involved in that practice because we can only imagine what will this will look like maybe t- five, 10 years from now. How will this type of environment impact the children that had to endure this? Will they, who knows? Will they become stronger in technology and become the technology wizards? Will they be those that uh, really, really may have not been great at online education and really feel they may not benefit it? So there's such a uh, uh, we're still tossing a coin to some degree for some students. Um, but I really believe that the 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 way in which we proceed and the way that which we provide the resources, this becomes a normal way of living. And I think that um, it is not new for online K through 12 schools. They've been out there for a long time. This is just being pushed for everyone. We can look at some of the models and what what do they do that has been around that made them successful that were purely online. So there's a lot of ways to try to attack this. I see one of our viewers, uh, Lynn, has a question about kids with IEPs. Um, I've dealt with that as a parent in the past as well. I don't know if you're specifically the best person to talk about it, but it is. it does bring up the question that not, not all kids are created equal, that um, you know, this is going to be a difficult time, especially for kids who do need require a little more individualized attention. That's going to be even harder in an online situation, obviously. It has, but we can still try to find out to meet them at things they enjoy. Find the things that interest their level and keeps them motivated and use those as learning experiences. See, this is about out-of-box thinking, meeting learning outcomes with the things that they like to do. I, I, I This is not a oh, just a test you give them and say, okay, you pass. This is challenging us as educators. What are we going to do? to be able to make sure that our students learn and meet some of these things to make sure that they have the quality. So instead of putting that student or students with require more attention into a position where grading is such a stringent process, find the things 
that motivate them and use them as learning experiences to be able to meet the learning outcomes. And they will probably require extra support. So we have to find ways to give them. And not to always based on timelines. We may need a little extra time. Uh, Andrea is concerned that you know some kids that do require more structure could fall behind uh, in an online setting. And, and I think that's, that's very valid. Uh, they, I'd imagine, will need to address that issue that when this is over and, and everyone goes back to the classroom, not everyone's going to be at the same level, that there's probably going to be some catch up that needs to be done uh, once you know COVID has passed. I, I can't disagree with that. I totally, it, it's going to share and show a lot of our weaknesses. I think really in some ways it's probably exposing our education system as a whole. <laughs> really, it's not really, maybe it's not just in the online education. It's probably just gaps in the way we providing education as a whole. And this is actually a turning point in the American education systems in which we're going to look back and we're going to find out what we did well, what we didn't do well, and what we can do better. And I think this experiment, we're unfortunate that there's going to be some that are not going to really get and exercise what they really need to get out of this. But this is going to teach us as a people, teach us as a, as, as a, uh, as a culture on how to do better at providing education, period, whether it's online or in the classroom. Yeah, and as you, as you mentioned, Doctor, sometimes unintended consequences can be positive. And I'd imagine there will be some children who have struggled in classroom settings that, that have trouble in the social setting of school, that feel anxiety, that all of a sudden may find with online learning that they are absolutely blossoming and moving forward at a much faster pace. Would you agree with that? Thank you so much for that, because that is one of the perspectives I wanted to bring out, Ben, that you mentioned, because there are students that are, we, we, we're concerned about a lot of the failing that's happening online. What about the failing that's happening in class right now? There's a lot of students that's not meeting the learning objectives or, or doing that well, and they have the support of going, and they're going to the classroom. This is, could be the irony. This could be the turning point for some of these students. The students that are doing well, a lot of times they already have discipline enough to be able to maybe make a transition in online because of, it really requires a lot of discipline enough to be able to commit yourself to doing it. But what about those outliners? Maybe this could be exactly what they need to actually feel like they can meet and feel like they can succeed in the classroom. So let's stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a great note to kind of wrap things up, a little positive uh, way to look at this. But ultimately, uh, just like all of our discussions on our Ask the Experts this week, uh, there's no one size fits all solution. And uh, the best way to move forward is to be responsive to your kids, uh, to your teachers and use as many resources out there that are possible. A lot of them that are free and available on the Internet uh, to try to to make the best of this situation that we're all being forced to deal with right now. That's correct. We got to make it the best out of it. And I, my, and I would say the best advice I can give is to work to keep it as simple and as effective as possible. And, and that can be kind of challenging. You see in the classroom, we have to do it this way. We have to do it this way. We have to do it. It's, it's, it's streamlined. A lot of times you have to be flexible. Things are going to happen on the cuff in online education. But that doesn't mean that learning is not taking place. 
So I just, I just um, really strongly advise all teachers, parents, is to work on the flexibility of learning, but still provide meaningful learning opportunities. Dr. Joseph Lathan, Director of Online Learning at the University of San Diego. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time and uh, with our ABC 10 News uh, viewers and Facebook fans today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And, and I just want to say, take care. And um, we hope that USD can get back up and running like all of you out there waiting. But until then, guys, we have the advantage of still being able to meet some of these goals through online education. So let's take advantage of it. Here we are. Thank you, Ben. Sounds like a great plan. And uh, thanks to everyone who uh, spent some time with us this morning. If you've got more questions, uh, we will continue our Ask the Experts series uh, throughout the week. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to go back to homeschooling a little bit because yesterday we got a great perspective from a couple of homeschooling moms. Uh, we actually have a student uh, who's been doing homeschooling uh, to get a different perspective along with his mom, uh, who has students that have gone from brick and mortar schools back to homeschooling, back and forth, a, a kind of a different perspective on that issue. And we've got more planned for you later in the week as well. It's our ABC 10 News Back to School Week Ask the Experts series. I'm Ben Higgins. Thank you for joining us.